Hello and welcome to the first ever Stack podcast. My name is Stephen Watson and I'm the founder of Stack. And for this first episode, I'll be speaking to Dan Stafford, editor and art director of A Museum. That's the magazine we sent out to Stack subscribers this month. And the point of this podcast is to dig down and tell the stories behind the stories in this latest issue. We recorded our conversation in front of an audience of Stack subscribers at the Ace Hotel in London on the 28th of June 2016. And the idea is we'll have a new Stack Live podcast every month, speaking to the people behind some of our favourite magazines. This whole thing, the event and the podcast you're listening to, have been made possible thanks to the support of Park Communications, who have very generously sponsored us. They were there at the event with their stand full of the lovely independent magazines they print. And about halfway through this podcast, you'll hear from Alison Branch, Managing Director of Park, giving her thoughts on what exactly it is that people love about print. Before we start, I should warn you that while Dan is a lovely man, he does have a fondness for terrible language, so you might not want to listen to this in front of children or anyone you don't want to hear rude words. And if you listen right through to the end, you'll hear a special stack offer for all you people who love independent magazines but who are not yet stack subscribers. Um, I think that's it for introductions. Let's head over to the Ace Hotel for a slightly sweary conversation about accidents, silliness, and independent prints. You can always count on the Stack subscribers, can't you? Thank you very much. Good evening and welcome to Stack Live. Uh, I'm very pleased to say that I'm joined here by Dan Stafford, the editor and art director of A Museum, which, of course, is the magazine that we sent out to Stack subscribers all around the world this month. Um, the point of tonight really is to give a proper deep dive into the making of a magazine. I think that since you've all like, you know, had a month sitting with a museum, uh, you hopefully know it pretty well by now. And I'm always really interested to find out like, you know, what it is that goes into the, the making of one of these magazines. All the kind of the decisions, the disasters, the funny strokes of luck that go into making this thing. And I, and I think a museum is a really good magazine to do that with because it's not a typical magazine um down at the in the editor's letter you say this is not a magazine this is a museum yeah i like puns i don't know if you can tell that <laughs> from the whole thing um yeah well thanks for having me Steve. um yeah that is that is how i started i guess like that was one of the original ideas that we had one of the reason why i started it is because um as like an illustrator i think i wanted to make something which was kind of um not only something which you could read but something which really kind of communicated to the reader in a way which wasn't only kind of verbal, uh, but also in kind of an experiential, kind of semiotic way where you kind of understood it beyond what it was saying and kind of what you did with it. Um, so yeah, I hope that comes across like from the name to, to everything else. And so tell me a little bit about what it was that made you want to make this magazine in the first place. God, I don't know. I can tell you all the reasons why I wouldn't want to do one again. Uh, but that's, uh, <laughs> that's a different issue. Um, I guess, like, part of it is, um, it's just a cool thing to do, isn't it, I think? Like, everyone likes a magazine. Um, uh, and it's like, I, I don't know, they're like, there's such a particular expression of a particular idea. Um, and they're so kind of niche and focused that it's a really nice way to... Um, 
I don't know, express yourself really. Uh, and as like a, I suppose as an artist, like that's just a really cool thing to do. Um, and also because it's serialized um, and because of what I do as an illustrator is very like one shot and I do it in like five, six, seven hours. It's nice to do something that lasts, you know, like years. So it's nice to have those two ends of the spectrum. Um, and yeah, and, cool. and also I suppose it's a way of getting people to buy something which is cool, <laughs> and lots of people to read it. So, um, yeah, and have something that's a bit more engaging um, and longer form, um, and an interplay between text and image, which is my favourite thing, really. So, because you, you mentioned that you are an illustrator. Yeah, so, I guess, I mean. like, maybe it'd be useful to have a bit of background on kind of what you do aside from this. Yeah, yeah, so, um, so I'm an editorial illustrator, so I uh, uh, kind of illustrate for pretty boring articles, uh, for kind of places like the New York Times and stuff. So my job, I suppose, is to make those interesting visually so that the, the reader will uh, kind of catch, uh, you know, my visual language and then be like, oh, what, what's interesting about this thing? Um, and also my job is to communicate an idea very uh, quickly uh, that may otherwise be very complicated and very uh, convoluted. Um, and again, that's the thing which magazines, I think, that are the most successful do. They kind of um, encapsulate a, a feeling or a kind of type of person, really, into, you know, under 100 pages or whatever, with a combination of advertisements and writing and their editorial choices. And with illustration, um, it's very much about picking the kind of two, uh, for me anyway, we might talk about the cover later, but picking about kind of a couple of ingredients that are really, really kind of spicy <laughs> and, and make people want to kind of eat it with their eyes and get into it. <laughs> eat you know? it with their Continue eyes. Continue that metaphor, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you're taking this stuff that you do for clients like the New York Times mm. and stuff like that and taking that and bringing it basically into your own magazine. Yeah, well, I hope so, yeah. I, think, I don't think I could have done it without doing the editorial stuff first. I think that's like key skills. And, and so we had a quick sort of pre-chat uh, mm -hmm. last week. The last week before Dan went to Glastonbury, so yeah, Dan is the <laughs> Dan is being frankly heroic tonight by <laughs> speaking uh, in front of an audience one day after getting back from Glastonbury. So well done for that. Thanks very much. Um, if he suddenly goes blank and just stops at any point, it's, it's <laughs> the Glastonbury thing. Yeah, you know what it's from. So when we were talking last week, you were talking about this as the most honest to what you. Mm originally intended so mm. what, what do you mean by that uh well i suppose i should tell you what i originally intended so uh i initially kind of came up with the kind of concept for the magazine with um like my best friend from from university called um simon Udall, who's now a copywriter for a graphic design company called um dn co um so the original idea was that uh, i would design it and illustrate which obviously I, I do now and he would write the copy and we'd edit it together and it would be this really big collaboration this is before we both had jobs <laughs> so then he got a job uh, which was which is full time and didn't have the time to do it but i really still wanted to do it um i was doing copywriting anyway as part of my job as a graphic designer which i think happens quite a lot um and um so it just kind of came about and the the concept originally was to make something which was had as little photography as possible um and communicated like as we both did illustration in the same way an illustration did like I say with that mixture of image uh, next to text um, and and told stories and was funny and a bit stupid because I think most magazines take themselves too seriously really um, and I'd like more magazines that I don't know had like bums in them really um, <laughs> but like uh, um, yeah and just a kind of a bit of a, a piss take of the format itself because the format itself is so um, kind of ephemeral and um, and so kind of everywhere, and quite tedious, really. Like you see so much of the same stuff everywhere. It's nice to do something where, because it's throwaway, be like, well, if you don't like it, just chuck it in the bin. 
you know it has it has no kind of um pretense of having to sit around forever but uh, i think the best magazines do because they kind of embrace that uh, ephemerality if that's a word uh, and then uh, and then hang about because you're like oh that's that's great they really kind of went out on a limb so yeah i hope it did that and we chose objects um because uh, as as illustrators objects are really useful as a way of um kind of uh, turning ideas into something you can see because there's such a kind of complex uh, semiotic, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, like vocabulary behind each object. There's a, I mean, if you, if you want to kind of see a diagram of this, there's a really famous, uh, for me anyway, illustration by Christoph Nyman where he kind of um, shows how all illustrators make their work. So, for example, he'll do, if you're going to do something about, say, education and war, he'll, he has this, like, cross graph where it's an apple and a tank. So if you make an apple tank, it's about education and war. Um, and, uh, yeah, so kind of using objects is a really kind of nice shortcut to make people think about this larger, uh, these larger issues which may you may not already have thought about. So, yeah, they're kind of, as I, put, as I think I put in the, uh, the first editor's letter ever, uh, to continue upon trend, <laughs> was that the objects are, are diving boards. You know, they're a way to, um, you know, see into these corners that you wouldn't usually look at as, you know, somebody who's interested in illustration or kind of fucking about. <laughs> 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 and so the point of it all for you really is that fucking about. It's that, yeah. it's the fun. It's Everyone that having fucking fun. About, don't they? I mean, if you don't, what are you doing here? Like, I don't know. I, yeah, I love it. I think it's great. And especially on paper, like you can do that physicality of a magazine is really, I find it really slapstick, and I don't know why people don't do more stuff with it that's completely silly, because it's so kind of, um, I don't know, there's something really kind of archaic about it, but also really, um, uh, what's the word, T tactile, and that, that direct touch of the thing that you're reading and the way you manipulate it as the reader, you just don't get anywhere else. You don't get it on a screen. Uh, you know, you don't get it even when you're talking to people. Do you know what I mean? There's like this personal space, but with a magazine, you're like, you're touching it, you know? So it's quite an intimate act, and I think it's cool to um, play about with what that can make the reader think and, and how it can make them uh, go through that information because so much about, I mean, I would hope that anyone who's looked at the first two issues would, would see that by the third one, um, the, the pacing is much better um, and kind of the whole point, I think, of magazines is taking the reader from start to finish or holding their hand for as long as possible because if they let go and they put it down, you've lost really. So if you can kind of keep them entertained through pacing and, you know, for lack of a better word, toys made of paper, um, I think that's a nice idea. I wish more people would do that. I'd buy those magazines. <laughs> those toys made of paper, it seems to me, are a, a massively important part of what this magazine is. Mm. Like, you play around with the form of the magazine so much. Mm. So this was like, I, I actually only realised this when um, I saw a picture that someone had put on an Instagram, a, a Stack subscriber, her, had put their uh, mag on Instagram, mm. and it was the Theseus's um, ship Oh, yeah, the ship, yeah. Piece. And I hadn't realised that if you open the mag out, the boat was at the bottom, the sail went up the top, yeah, it's got a mast, yeah. and you've made a 3D ship. Yeah, yeah, that's the, yeah. Oh, that's so <laughs> clever. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, and it's also, I mean, not to kind of toot toot my horn, but uh, there's the story is about like a black and a white sail and how Theseus told, tells um, his father that if, he could, if he's been successful, he'll leave a white sail up. Um, but the people who were in charge of putting the sail up forgot and left the black one up and his father kills himself. So the front is uh, white, the back is black. So many levels. So, many levels. so, so many deep, levels. so deep. The, um, the mag also, like, thinking about how it's changed over the years, because mm. it had... When, when did you start? Oh, God, oh, Jesus. Uh, March last year, so it's been a year and a half. Year, year and a bit, okay. Mm -hmm. So it's got much slimmer. 
Yeah, yeah, it has. It's bigger, though, so <laughs> don't judge me. Uh, yeah, uh, no, it has got cinema, but I think um, I, I said this the other day in an interview, like, uh, with the first issue, there's, there's much ado about trying to impress people and make them feel like it, it's substantive um, and worth the price um, and that you're clever and you know what you're doing. And I think a way to hide that is to just make it super thick uh, and, and rigid so you kind of can't get in it and you can't see the spine. Um, but now I just don't give a fuck. So I'm like, so, and I knew that loads of people were going to read it. Um, and I knew there were people who liked magazines, so I was like, okay, let's just do what you actually want to do um, and make it as stupid as you can and kind of do the jokes that you want to do but didn't know if people would get because, you know, a little bit of um, kind of approval goes a long way to get artists, I think, to do what they really want to do. And so, yeah, I hope it's like a kind of second album, if anything. So that's interesting you talk about getting artists to do the stuff that you want to do. Because obviously illustration plays such a massive part in this mag. And you are an illustrator. Mm. So how do you even begin with that? Do you start with a list of illustrators that you know you want to work with? Or do you start with the stories and then find the illustrators? Oh, I don't know, actually. That's interesting when you ask me like that. Like that. Um, I think um, I have a folder... And I don't know if any of you are, are illustrators or artists. Like, I wish I'd known this when I first started working. That like the people who choose to commission illustration, they do keep a folder. So on their computer, or perhaps uh, physically, if they're a hundred. Um, <laughs> but uh, and when you send them your work and they like it, they will save it. And I I make an effort to um, reply to everybody whose work I do like and whose I do save, um, because it genuinely will be in a folder, and if there is anything appropriate, I definitely will ask you, because it's really hard to find illustrators that match that idea you've got in your head when it's at that abstract form at the beginning. So um, I usually will, for every issue, have kind of almost a, a mood board, as much as that word makes me feel nauseous, um, of kind of what I kind of want it to feel like. So illustrators, I'm like, oh, I, I haven't used this guy yet, and they're different enough from in the past issue that I feel like I, I should use this guy. And, oh, he can do something really nice with line, and he can do something really nice, or she can do something really nice with tone or whatever. Um, but the, the first place to start is with the kind of subject matter, because you don't want to repeat yourself especially when you've only done like two <laughs> so you know I think after probably about four you can go back on yourself a bit and it's all right but um yeah making sure it's kind of distinct um and also has enough room to be silly because um if it was all about I don't know kind of Europe uh then uh, it would be a bit dire so uh making sure I had room to do something with a bomb and then something <laughs> with like you know something that's got like um, a bit of kind of oomph with it with the Kibbo Kif thing that we did in that, which is kind of old. So a nice balance of old and new as well is also important, I think, for, for this, because otherwise it would feel too museum-y. Um, so, yeah, you just kind of... But, but a lot of it is kind of... Um, I hate to say instinctual, because that makes me sound like a dickhead. But, like, so much of it is about, like, seeing what you've got when you've got it and keep looking at the whole thing of it and being like, OK, well... Uh, imagine it was like a set of scales and you've got too much on the funny side, okay, so I need something more serious, or, okay, I've got too much about, like, France, so I need a bit about, like, Japan or whatever. Um, and just making it balanced and make it kind of like a, a meal that's kind of got all the bits, you know? And, and when you're literally commissioning an illustrator, mm. I mean, because you're an illustrator, mm. do you basically just draw what you want them to draw? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have done that before. Some people don't mind it. If, if someone does it to me... I quite, I quite like it because they've done the work a little bit. But, but there's like a bit with, um, with commissioning illustrators where obviously you've got an idea in your head that is 
very, very abstract, and you're desperate to communicate to them. And usually you do it by email as well. So my emails have a lot of bullet points, um, and they have a lot of kind of uh, horizontal rules to specify when an idea is finished, so they kind of make, to make sure they continue through the whole email, and it's not TLDR, too long, did not read. Um, uh, but yeah, you, you're trying to communicate to them in a very short period of time what you want from them. Um, and they've also got a clear idea of what they want to do, but the best illustrators who and I find that I think the best illustrators are editorial illustrators because they can work to a brief, and I really value that. Um, you know, they will listen to you, and they will do it a lot of times because they want to get it right for you because they know you've got a vision, and if they don't give you what, what you wanted, it won't, it won't work, and their illustration will look shit, and the, the article will look shit, and it'll all just fall apart. So, um, yeah. I mean, I'd, yeah, but sometimes drawing it for them helps. <laughs> you just be like, do this. Yeah. I mean, so I, my background is as an editor, and mm. for me, the, like, the big pleasure was always, so you commission someone to go and do something, mm. and you give them that bullet point list of do this, this, this. Mm. But then when you get something really good, it's because someone has interpreted that in a way that you weren't oh, yeah, really Yeah, they've got bullet points that you never even thought to add, and you're like, that's... I'm so glad you did that because I wouldn't have thought of that. Um, or, yeah, if they execute it better than you, you thought and you're just like, oh, my God, it's so much better. Um, and that bit when you see the email come back and it's got the little kind of blue dot next to it because you haven't read it yet. Um, and, and just before you click it, you're like, this could be the worst moment of my day or the best <laughs> moment of my day. But, um, but the cover's a really great example of, of that process, actually, because with Rami, who's, um, I believe he's Finnish, actually, he lives in Sweden, um, but he's, he's brilliant, he's just amazing. Um, uh, you know, we went through loads of iterations that version, um, and you know, it, it got to the point where I would literally take his image into Photoshop and cut bits out and move it 20 degrees, and be like, "Can I have that leg? You know, a bit more of a high kick? Like, can we make his arm a little bit thicker?" You know, it got to that level. But I think, especially with a cover, um, a good illustrator will respect that it's like this is like you know, a, this is like having a facelift. You know, you, you're allowed to be specific about what you want because you're going to have to live with this shit. Like, I don't want <laughs> that nose that you've drawn for me. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, but it's, I think a lot of it comes down to as well who you pick. Like, you just got to know who to pick from the beginning. Look at their work and, and and feel like you've got a bit of a connection with them on kind of a an ideas and, and tone level, because if they're not willing to have fun with an idea and you're about fun, which that cover is, um, it's not, it's not going to work. And, and that is my favourite cover of all that you've done. Thank you very so much. Far. Like that, I, 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 I can see that just like jumping off the newsstand. Well, good, I hope so. How, how did that actually come about? How did you end up with Rami for it? Uh, well, I worked with him uh, in the first issue, and I've loved him for ages. I just think he's amazing. And uh, one thing I find really interesting about him is... Um, <clears throat> His uh, visual language, his style, has changed quite a lot over the years, kind of since when I was studying um, to now. And his kind of client base has gone insane. I think he's with Pekka Finland, who are brill. Um, but I picked him because he's got this kind of really dirty sense of humor, um, but a very kind of um, a simplistic way of drawing that's also quite... Um, uh, naturalistic in a weird way. He's kind of he's very observant with the way he draws the figure, which I really think is cool. Um, and yeah, he just likes to kind of do a joke and, and uh, be a bit of a knobhead when he can. So I'm like, yeah, I'm into that. Um, and yeah, and he was really kind of open to um, experimenting with ideas in the first time I commissioned him, which I think is a great quality in an illustrator. Um, 
And also, he really wanted to do it. Like, because I think people think that you just pick someone and then it's like, oh, yeah, okay, make it now. But there's a bit of a kind of flirting with them where you have to go, like, do you want to do it? I don't know if you want to do it. <laughs> it's going to be this. Like, and you kind of don't tell them the money and you don't tell them the deadline. You're just like, oh, are you interested? Um, and he, he was into it. I was like, I want to do something about... Um, uh, again, it comes down to kind of an illustration exercise, something about kind of um, sexy museums. That's always the kind of... When I brief an illustrator, I'm like, it's sexy museum. What do you want to do with that? And usually they're like, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, I have to kind of usually draw them something. So the original idea was going to be... Um, obviously, he's a philosopher, so it was going to be... Um, Archimedes in a kind of in his white toga, but he was going to be stood over a grid like Marilyn Monroe, like put like pushing it down. But it didn't work because of the kind of uh, the composition. So over time, we had to kind of massage it into this kind of pin-up pose. Um, but that's a really nice collaboration when the original idea you had turns into this better, more complex, and more satisfying version that you hadn't expected. You're hearing this music because it's time for an advert. I mentioned at the beginning that this first Stack podcast is sponsored by Park Communications. They're the people who actually make some of our favourite magazines, including Boat, Mondial and Riposte. All of them very beautiful objects in their own right. Dan talked earlier about the importance of print as a physical object, a thing you can pick up and touch and play with. So when I met managing director Alison Branch, I asked her why she thinks people respond so strongly to ink on paper. Well, I've thought about it a lot. And interestingly now, there's actually statistical evidence and research to support what it is about print that is attracting attention. And it's, it's what we see when people come and see our samples and come to our stands, is that print engages because it actually stimulates so many senses. So whereas the digital or online is primarily about visual, print is visual, people look at it, they, it's tactile, they touch it, uh, they invariably pick it up and they smell it. And there is an institute called the Institute of Cross-Modal Studies, which is attached to Oxford University. And they have particularly carried out a lot of research looking at at why print is so impactful. And they say that the more senses you stimulate, um, the more you engage. And the more senses you stimulate, the more the long-term memory encoding. So the more you remember. So there you have it, scientific evidence for why people love magazines. If you're working on a magazine project and you'd like to find out how Park could help you to stand out from the crowd, you can read about their work and find all their contact details at parkcom.co.uk. That's parkcom.co.uk. Or if you're in London, watch out for them coming to a magazine night near you soon. There's a very good chance they'll be there with their magazine stand, letting people stroke and sniff their pages. We're going back now to the conversation with Dan from A Museum, so stick around to hear him speaking about the sauciness and flirtation of a magazine spread and how that fits with his vision for the silly disposable fun of toilet paper. The biggest response that we got from Stack subscribers was to your toilet paper 
section. Yeah, which I which I'm really glad about. I'm glad it landed because that was a bit of a risky joke. I thought, but yeah. Uh, and we're, again, like when we spoke last week, I was like, "Is it okay for me to say this is like <laughs> toilet reading?" Yeah, yeah. No, I, I rate that. I think that's a compliment. It, it was either like, "Wow, this is the biggest mistake ever," or like, "This is definitely toilet reading." No, no. I I think that's. I would put that on a review. If I had to quote myself on a poster, I'd say. It's toilet reading. Steve from Stack. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you can totally do that. Okay, fine. I will. The, um, why? So, like, why go that direct with it? What were you trying to communicate with that? Oh, I don't know. Is it John Cleese who said um, uh, asking why a joke works or why you did a joke is like dissecting a frog, <laughs> like uh, the frog dies and no one enjoys it or something like that. But um, I, I, I don't know why I did that. It probably says something about my psychology, doesn't it? And maybe I should rethink my life choices. But I did it because it just seemed like an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. Like the pages in a magazine when they're spread like that is quite saucy, isn't it? I don't know, there's something about the process of the pages turning which is quite flirtatious. And I knew I was going to do something about toilet paper because I had to offset this very, very kind of weighty design thing that I had sorted for Vitsu. So I was like, okay, I've got to do something really ephemeral. It's got to be something you literally throw away. Okay, I'll do toilet paper. But there was this fine line to walk between scatological and cheeky, um, to use another pun. So I went with, with cheeky, um, and, and it just seemed like, it just seemed really to make sense. But it went through lots of different versions. Um, it initially wasn't going to be in the middle, which I changed right at the end, and the, and the printers were annoyed about, I think, Bless them, they're really good. But I think I changed it right at the last minute because I had, to I had to make sure that it had equal weight on both sides for it to work. It was initially going to be at the very end, uh, and I'm glad I moved it. Um, and it was initially going to be um, kind of a really long piece of toilet paper that was going to be on kind of crepe paper and would kind of roll out, but then I swapped that for that um, concertina uh, thinker's bit instead. So, yeah, it went through lot, a lot of versions, and um, I know I'm really happy with it just because it doesn't kind of try and be clever. It's, it's toilet humour, literally, and, it, and I think it works. It's cool. And for, for anyone who's confused about what we're talking about, this is the spread where you open it out and there's kind Would of a, a bum cheek on either side and a piece of toilet paper stuck in the middle, which very pleasingly flaps about like that. And then that leads into a whole section on, like, toilet trivia. And, I mean, it is literally toilet reading. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it was meant to... I mean, I hope that the magazine flits between being, like... Um, you know, stuff that takes you half an hour to read and stuff that takes you five minutes to read, because that's my favourite type of reading, when I've got it with me and I can dip in and out, or it'll entertain me for a, you know, for a commute into work or whatever. Um, and I think a toilet is a completely valid place to read, so I don't think you should be ashamed. I think we should be proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, you mentioned crepe paper, so mm. you originally wanted this to be more toilet paper I wanted it to be full-on, like, Andrex. But I, I, if, if I could have afforded it, I would have got it embossed with puppies... I think, and maybe even scented, but I was like, no, this is getting ridiculous now. Um, so, so I kind of, but also subtlety is key, he says, after doing that. So, um, you know, I think, what, what, who's it who said that? Like, you know, before you leave the house, take one thing off. So take off the Andrex puppies and leave it be. I've never heard that before. It well, sounds like good advice. Well. Um, the, and so you also mentioned about, like, so you changed the position of that story mm. quite late in the day. Mm. And you mentioned that you, the philosophers thing was going to be something else. The oh God, yeah, Jesus. Um, well, I don't know if like any of you work in publishing, but like, there, 
I don't, I don't know whether everyone who is publishing would like me to say this, but for, for me, and I assume for everybody, there is a huge period of uncertainty with what it's actually going to look like until you have to kind of push the button, um, especially with ordering and um, kind of what gets cut and what doesn't. And because initially when you think of an idea, um, you know, it sounds great in your head and you're like, oh, I can make this into like a, you know, 12 spreads, I'll have like some infographics, I'll commission an illustrator, you know, I might even do a little poem or whatever. And then you get down to doing it and you're like, oh, fuck, fuck, there's not enough here, there's not enough here, I can't do it, it's not going to work. So initially that, that centerfold, after it was going to be the toilet paper, was going to be uh, an expanded version of um, one of the sections that's later on about kind of extinct and defunct uh, animals and or technology. Um, and it was going to be like walking through a kind of wing of a museum. So one side, you'd be on one side of the cabinets, and on the reverse, you'd be reading explanations on the back of the cabinets. But it didn't, it just didn't work. It just didn't work. So at the very last minute, you know, with four days to go, I had to swap those two sections around. So I had to redesign them all, and I hadn't done the illustrations. I mean, I'm having flashbacks, and it's not pleasant. <laughs> but it, it takes a it's Like I say, it's cementing that, I think is the most valuable part of the process. It is deciding exactly where things are going to go, and you leave that right to the end because you don't know what the ingredients are yet. It'd be like, you know, making a cake and then not, or making a soup and not tasting it. You've got to keep tasting it and then adding. If it needs a bit of salt, okay, put the salt in there, etc. Put the celery in. Keep going. Oh, it's delicious. Stop. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, and also that for me is the the joy of making mags. Like the, yeah, yeah. You, but I guess that you're in a fairly unusual situation because you're the editor, yeah, and you're the art director. Yeah. So it's I mean this is basically what I always tell people not to do. I was, I'd always say don't try and make. I tell them not to do it as well. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. No, I like it. I think it's good. Why would you tell them not to do it? Because I think that making a magazine, for me, the pleasure comes from working with other people. The collaboration. And like, as an editor, I come up with an idea for a story, mm. and then the art director comes up with a visual treatment for it. It mm. takes it a whole different direction, which you don't get with a more personal yeah, project like yeah, this. Yeah, you don't. But I think... Um, I don't think many magazines do the kind of visual thing that... that, that I say, it's not I, it's, it's we, the people who I commissioned to do it with, do. And it's difficult... It's difficult to balance visual and um, copy like in that way and make them kind of, you know, like say dance with each other and kind of be interesting and funny. Um, they, they work very separately, and I think that siloed approach of having, uh, you know, an art director, a copy editor, um, you know, someone who works with photographers, etc., that does mean there's, you know, you're adding layers of communication there. But if, if it's just kind of me who's there and I kind of, tell all these people or essentially I don't tell them I ask them so much of it is about well what would you what would you do so I suppose in a weird way I'm almost doing temporary editors if you know what I mean so for example with uh, James Cartwright who did the the Kibbo Kif one I didn't know what I wanted him to do I just thought the thing he did in the in the in issue two about um HIV posters was really great and I did tell him I wanted to do that one so I was like what what do you think um and he proposed um a thing about um I told him it wants I wanted it to be about things that change and things that don't as this general thing and he proposed um, a thing about houses and about houses that are built modularly and uh, last for a very short period of time or houses that were built, you know, hundreds of years ago and, and it sounded really interesting and then he proposed Kivo, Kivo Kift and I was like, it's got, it's got to be that one but giving people choice, I think, as we were saying before about letting artists do what they want artists don't often get asked what they want to do so and they've probably got like a little nugget in the back of their head that they've been or a little egg that they've been sat on for ages and ages just like waiting to hatch it and if you get them at the right time you get this like beautiful chicken bird thing that's like colorful and amazing but you have to you know make sure that 
you kind of <laughs> massage it out of them, I don't know where this is going, uh, into, into this thing that you want to fit, otherwise it gets out of control and then it doesn't, it doesn't work. But yeah, it's a, it's a fine balance, but I think you've got to, you know, you've got to respect creative people because it's hard, it's hard work, <laughs> you know? Uh, and that Kibber Kif piece, I think is fundamental to the success of the issue because yeah, that's like your that's your long read basically mm -hmm. and it comes early on and the, yep. and it's such a fascinating story with I know such takes, isn't it? The beautiful images, are just images ridiculous yeah they're ridiculous did did James come to you with the story with the images well I don't know how he actually found out about it because the, the the kind of um, the main meat of that piece came from um, uh, Anne Bella Pollen who I think is a lecturer at, at Brighton University if I remember correctly. Um, and she was writing this book with Donlon Books, and uh, I don't know how he found out about her, um, but he, he contacted her and was like, Would, can we do an interview about it, you know, get all the background, because obviously she knows it back to front. Um, and because she'd kind of helped put this book together with Donlon, they had the images. Um, but, um, I mean, it just sold me when I, when I Googled the images, and I was like, this is just so amazing, and kind of, I think the best, I think one of my, my favourite kind of images, actually, are... Um, mid-century illustrations really because they're kind of pre-digital um, and I think what makes them so successful for me and what makes me really kind of in love with them is that they look very very contemporary even though they're kind of over 60 years old and, and these images from Kibbo Kift uh, and their kind of totems and, and their clothing and stuff even though they're you know nearly 100 years old I was like this could have been made like for a Florence and the Machine video 10 minutes ago um, and all the best things should have that kind of currency regardless of how often they were made. And so it makes a really great long form piece because of those things, I think. Totally, absolutely. Um, I'm gonna ask for questions from the audience in just a minute. So please be thinking about things that you'd like to ask Dan. Um, to incentivize you, we have stack branded notebook packs. This is the first time these things have ever been seen in public. They're beautiful, you want one. Um, notebooks, right, yeah. <laughs> um, so the, I, I want to talk for just a minute about the ads in the mag, yeah, because yeah. obviously the like how you actually fund and make this magazine is is really important. Yeah. So you, you've got ads in there from the V&A, Science Museum, from Album. So that's a really great selection of advertising. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. I mean, um, and I say this every time anyone asks me, like I think adverts are what make magazines magazines, because without that, they're a book. And a book is very different than a magazine, partially because of that thing we talked about before, about like the ephemeral nature of a magazine. And ads, by their very nature, uh, talk about a time period, like a snapshot, especially fashion. Like if you look at kind of, um, you know, old fashion magazines, that's why they have to be so frequent, is because they don't, it doesn't last. Um, but um, yeah, getting, getting the advertisers for me from the very beginning was like not only part of it for like the money, um, but also to kind of legitimize it and to kind of give it. Um, a, f a flavor which you can't achieve with the content you commission yourself um, because adverts kind of do this kind of undertone whispering about who it's for in a way that commissioning the content and the illustration can't and it also allows you to play those two things off one another so um, for example with the with the first issue it did have much more of a kind of museum-y um, uh, kind of stuffy um, uh, you know, human history element to it, but if you kind of counteract that with a fashion brand, or you know, or with um, something very lifestyle-y for kind of young people, you're changing the flavor and you're changing the, as I was saying before, like the semiotics of those images. And you're like, okay, this is this is for this type of person, um, and this is what you should think about it. And this type of product can sit happily with that. And you may not have thought of that before, mm. if you know what I mean. So, and I mean, um, you know. It's, it, 
also for, for big magazine companies, um, it's integral to their business model, isn't it? So you have to kind of have that marriage. Um, I mean, I've never kind of worked with an advertiser that's kind of, I suppose, given us enough money <laughs> or been big enough that like they've cared about enough about what their image is to kind of uh, tell us no or kind of enforce an image on us that we didn't like. And that would be an interesting position to be in. And I, haven't, I haven't been in that yet. I mean, if anyone wants to give me enough money, uh, <laughs> I will have pretty much any image. Um, but um, but uh, yeah, that would be interesting, to, you know, to, to almost have to say to an advertiser, no, we won't print that image because that is part of your kind of T's and C's. Um, so maybe that's maybe that's something I'll we'll have to do in the future. And, and I was interested by the Vitsu piece because mm. so Vitsu have have done a lot of advertising with yeah yeah they're in a Portimento and stuff I, and with yeah, independent magazines. Yeah. Um, and you've got a long story with Vitsu instead mm. of an advert. Mm. Well, yeah. So we um, so uh, the guy who does the marketing f for them is a guy called um, Rupert Evans Harding, and he actually wrote in this in this issue as well. He wrote about Hello Kitty, um, which was cool. Um, but uh, he he was a fan of the magazine and I'd been chasing him since before issue one to be like, can you can we do an ad for you? We'll do it for free. Like We just really want you to say that you like it. And he was like, I do really like it, <laughs> but we can't put it in there because we've put, we only have like a certain amount of people, et cetera. So I was like, okay, cool. So he was still really into it, got to number three, asked him again. He was like, we still haven't got the money or the space, but like, how about a feature? And I was like, okay, yeah, let's do that. Um, and after talking to him for a bit, it was great because... I would much rather have that than the money. I would much rather have this kind of really kind of intimate conversation with a brand like that about what they do and get to go in there and talk to um, uh, Mark Adams, who's just this amazing, amazing mind, um, who's like just run off his feet with building this new building that they're doing in the minute. But um, I'd much rather have that interaction with a brand that makes such a cool uh, product and, and things like that that happen organically over time and as a result of a... Um, you know, a, a seized opportunity, I think are very much something which it, it speaks to the way magazines are made. Because especially something that's only, um, you know, twice a year, six months is a long time to um, build relationships with people and develop ideas and allow them to change. So, uh, yeah, embracing that, I think led to that, uh, you know, arguably my favorite interview that we've done yet. Um, and just their images and like the insight that you get from talking to somebody who's the hive mind of that product and that way of kind of seeing the world is, was just an amazing opportunity and I think it translates to the page so I'm, I was really happy with it. Um, okay so I promised those questions. Does anyone have anything they want to ask Dan? Let's go for in the back in the middle there. Um, thank you very much for coming along today. Um, You're welcome. One of my favorite articles in the magazine which was a close second to the toilet paper um, origami was your visit to the Visto. Factory? Uh, yeah, Vitsu, yeah, yeah. Vitsu, yeah, Factory. Yep. Um, I was obviously a massive fan of Dieter Rams and the yeah, yeah, philosophy. Yeah. And I just want to uh, understand how you, well, first of all, how you got access to that factory and what, what the process was in order to sort of well, get it, that and what it kind of, what interested you about it. As, I mean, obviously, I know what interested you, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, uh, yeah, how you got access, what it was like visiting there, and then, like, you know, I guess. Okay, so, well, I mean, l l as I was um, saying to, to Steve, it came about like, serendipitously really as a result of kind of uh, I suppose having a fan on the inside really who already liked what we did with the first two issues um, and and kind of just starting the conversation because um, I think another thing about creative people is they're always kind of open to collaboration and opportunity because they don't get many um, so uh, and I suppose you know you're asking about 
um, how did we how did we get access? I just like asked for it. <laughs> I don't know, and they, they could have said no, um, but they didn't. And when they did say no, I just kind of asked a bit in a different way, <laughs> and and kind of got it. So, but they, I mean, they had this huge archive of of amazing, amazing stuff. I mean, I would encourage anybody um, to if they're doing a project or research about uh, kind of companies that have heritage behind them to just ask them if you can see it because. They were just, when I asked them, can I see your archive, they were like, oh, thank God someone's asked because we've been keeping it in this room for like 30 years, you know, and no one's looked at it. Please have a look through it. You know, they, they scanned it all in for me, kind of, you know, they would, they would go to, you know, ridiculous lengths to make sure I had what I wanted because, you know, they knew people were going to read that story as well and they were going to look at the, um, you know, the images that, that we picked and, um, and, and feel something about that brand from that. So they were very willing to... Um, collaborate on that really. I mean, does that answer your question? So. Okay, any other questions? Here we go. Hiya. Hi. Um, obviously this edition is like really, uh, it's really key that it's made with paper. Is there any way you could imagine doing a digital version or like... Oh my God, everybody asks me that oh, and sorry. I never know what to say. Uh, no, uh, no, 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 it's a really good question. I wish I had a better answer for it because whenever I see somebody who's done, excuse this kind of eye thing that I'm doing, by the way. Um, uh, whenever everyone asks me that and I see other publications that do an iPad app that's ace, like the New Yorker's iPad app is real. Um, I mean, that's probably because they have a gazillion dollars and a massive headquarters in, in New York. Um, but, you know, and they have audio clips in there and they have animation and kind of video clips and it all seamlessly links together and it really enriches the story. So I suppose if I was ever going to do a digital version of a museum, it would have to be, um, it would have to uh, kind of use that digital medium in the same way that we use the paper medium, if you know what I mean. So it would have to speak to that digital nature. So I suppose it would be, I'd want it to be interactive or like, I don't know, almost like an app that, that would sample things that you put in it and take it out. Or or maybe, I don't know, it'd be nice to make a kind of a, a museum app that you could kind of go around and like click on things and, and kind of experience a space. Because we always talked about from the beginning actually doing almost like um, imagining it as a building where you would have wings. And because you obviously work in this abstract dimension, it could be massive. I mean, I don't know if you've ever listened to, um, on Radio 4, they do the um, Museum of Everything, and that's, that's Brill, so kind of maybe rip that off a bit. I don't know, but in like an app. So that's maybe what I'd do. Cool, thanks. Sorry. Hey, hello. Um, so you mentioned that, um, as you do it, a lot of stuff was very last minute. You sort of, um, mm. you know, change things last minute, and mm. some, some of the sort of illustrations you do, and, uh, and, and sort of the general kind of way of working. Um, how far in advance do you actually plan the magazine and like the issues and the topics that you pick and <laughs> things like that? Uh, uh, well, okay, so I don't know. Let me give you a case study. So for 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 the third one, uh, I started planning that two weeks after I finished the second one. So the reason why I do it biannually is just because I haven't got enough time to do it any more often than that. I would like to do it quarterly, um, and maybe I, maybe I will for the next one. Wink, wink. Uh, but uh, we'll have to see. Um, but um, yeah, so I, I, you have to kind of start as soon as you finish the previous one, really. But you don't really have any time to stop because it just takes ages to get people to agree to stuff um, and to make stuff. I mean, if I was pushed, I could probably make it from start to finish in like two months. But I would not. I wouldn't like it. <laughs> so, um, and I do part of you know part of the reason why I do it is to is to enjoy it. And I think 
if I didn't enjoy it, it, it would, you'd be able to see that on the, on the page. It wouldn't be as like joyful. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't sacrifice that. But um, yeah, the schedule is kind of, it, it just doesn't end. You don't stop doing it. But I mean, having said that, I do kind of have kind of latent ideas that are kind of always hanging about and you do kind of have off cuts of things that didn't go into the previous issue. So you kind of have this backlog that can speed things up. Um, and, and I think that's probably one of the benefits of doing it as kind of one person who kind of brings in other people when I need to, is that, um, you know, I can very much have my own reservoir of, like, ideas and um, content that is bubbling and always kind of maturing a little bit. And when it's got, like, the correct <laughs> acidity levels or whatever, I can, like, take a little sip and be like, oh, yeah, let's, let's use that, use that, use that. So, yeah, does, does that help? Sorry. <laughs> there was a Here, we've got a question there front. Um... Hi. You, Hi. You talked about the, the humour in the mm. magazine and also that you're sort of, I guess, um, an auteur of the magazine, like trying to do everything, the, the art and the, um, the editorial. So does that, that speaks to me of, you know, when you're at school and people are making zines and they're just like cutting and pasting things mm. and then passing it a bit around the classroom and then Dave's good at writing jokes so he does a little cartoon mm. and then John says, I'm going to do a little bit about... Um, um, whatever it is, you know, like karate, and you go, oh, that's boring, <laughs> but then he finds an interesting angle. But do you feel like it's almost that humour of that when you have that energy and that sort of like your your um, sense of humour, um, and you're it's it's like a polished person version of that, and you're bringing it. I mean, I'm not. No, no, so, it's, no. I'm, I'm just. Is there, is there a bit of that? Were you into that at school or university? Well, you mean kind of like? Do you mean almost like that? Coll that collaboration, that passing about of it, almost kind of um, the Chinese whispers effect. Yeah, like, well, you know, like so kind of like people cut and paste signs and f using the photocopier to make your own sort of magazine. And this idea oh, that you're almost um, making your own magazine. I never ever made. I never. In fact, one of the things in the beginning I said is I didn't want it to be like a zine. Right. Um, but having said that, I think that would have been much easier to to do that. <laughs> I mean, I know what you mean about kind of like giving it to everybody and let them do what they do on it, if, if you know what I mean. But so much of, of it is about kind of um, shepherding people and making sure they do what you want them to do a little bit. It's, I, th I think, like, you know, if you're talking about kind of the, the humour, I think it, you know, it does hope that it communicates that it's fun and kind of, you know, carefree, not to sound like a tampon ad, but like um, it, it, um, it, it's like it's actually like a really finely tuned machine. So I think like the the art of making something that's like fun is making sure that it's kind of very regimented actually, and like has good pacing, like a joke, and has like a punchline when it needs it, and has like you know the correct audience in mind and and stuff like that. Okay, we've got a, a question here. Where did the bum come from, from the toilet paper spread? Where did it come from? Yeah. It's a drawing. So it's not a real person's bottom, <laughs> though I did consider that. Uh, but I was like, I'm not using mine, so I'll have to, have to like, send out an email like, would you mind if I scanned your bum? Uh, no, uh, it's a drawing uh, uh, from, like, from memory, I'm going to say that. Uh, no, it's a drawing just like freehand, so um, it's not from anybody. Did you do the drawing? Yeah, I did the drawing, yeah. I don't know what it says about me or my like ideal bottom, but there you go. Okay, I'd like full disclosure, we're now out of notebook packs. So the okay, the um question you just said in the middle. Um you said you're the art director and the editor and it's kind of your own taste, um, and convincing other people of your taste. Um do you ever suffer from self doubt and what do you do? Um <laughs> uh I don't feel like I'm selling other people my taste because I feel like um, 
if I was selling people my taste, it would be quite different. Like, there's an, there's an element of, um, um, I don't know, being quite um, prescriptive isn't the word, but almost like writing a prescription for somebody. So I'm like, oh, I, you know, I would have liked it if it was stupider and had less illustrations in it because I would have had to do less, less work. <laughs> but like, um, there's an element of making sure it's got all the elements that it needs, if you know what I mean. So it does, it does speak to my taste, but it also speaks to what I think an audience would, would want. Because I think um, if it was just about what I wanted, then it would be a book. It would be a book. I, I would have made like a kind of monogram style thing at that at that point um and that's not what i'm doing i think i think that thing that you're talking about is very much what um uh comic makers do um especially when they do like a kind of anthology where they collect all their work together and and you know doubly especially if it's kind of um autobiographical because it very much then becomes about like their worldview um and you know the way they edit their experience whereas magazines and, and a museum is has more of an element of reportage about it. So I'm not that interested in kind of, you know, uh, or I wasn't interested in Kippo Kip before somebody told me about it, but it, it was kind of a perfect jigsaw piece that I appropriated. Um, and that's quite different than something, I don't know, like say like um, Days of Confused, um, that's edited by, um, what's the photographer called who, who edits it? Someone just said it then. Rankin. Yeah, Rankin, that's right. So like uh, Rankin will have this kind of, you know, purview of what he wants it to be. Um, and as a result, the flavor of it is very, very strong um, and very distinct, and I think can be very hit and miss because of that. Um, but then something like National Geographic, at the other end of the scale, is much more about kind of um, uh, knowledge and documenting something which is already out there in the world. And I'd like to think it sits more on that end of the spectrum than the other end of the spectrum. Okay, and we have one over here. Someone's moved specially to get in range of the mic. Uh, I'm interested in the museumness of a museum, which mm. you've talked about a bit. Mm. And so you might have something you want to say about that. But I, I suppose my question is really, if you could get your hands on our real museum, what would you like to do with it? Oh, Jesus. Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, well, I think the ones we've got in London are ace, like, as they are, really. So, like, um, I don't know. Let me think about what building. I love the V&A. I love the V&A. Um, I'd like it if they were stupider. I would like it if they were stupider. And I'd like it if they were like, I mean, have you ever been to Friday Lates? We've got an ad for it on the back of this one, but um, I find Friday Lates a little bit disappointing. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but partially because there's too many people there. I'd prefer it if museums worked um, with, like a, with like a tour guide, you know, who I kind of had a little bit of empathy with and they could really kind of tell me the story of these things because so much about... Um, a museum experience, or when you go into one of these buildings, you know, they're, they're incredible kind of um, monoliths to human history, but so much of it is is silent and quiet, and you have to really get close to it and, like, examine it and, um, you know, stretch your kind of attention span to, to absorb that, and it's not presented in a fashion which has a narrative behind it. So I suppose I would like it if um, there was more of that. I mean, did, did anybody see... Um, Grayson Perry, when he did Who Are You? And he put um, new portraits in the portrait gallery. He did, like, tapestries and stuff. It was, it was amazing. You should watch it. It was on Channel 4. Um, but something like that as well, when you kind of get um, contemporary minds, not even artists, you know, people. I think that's what made that so charming with Grayson Perry was that he profiled very ordinary people and put them in these uh, spaces where you get very, very famous people. So, you know, you have, like, Queen Elizabeth and then, like, Liz from the council estate uh, from 2016 or whatever. Um, 
and, and those two things interacting together tells you much more about humanity, I think, than seeing them se separately. So yeah, I'd like them to be much more kind of, um, I suppose, textured and have like a real story that I can follow in a way other than just me reading kind of placards that are like in this font size, really close up. That's what I would like to have. I think we have time for just one more question before we finish up. I think maybe there aren't any more questions. Oh, one here. So you must be like uh, collating a lot of different stuff um, in terms of coming up with issues. I'm just interested in the process you've got in terms of collating it. Do you often find things and then like, uh, go back to the back of your mind? Or have you got like a digital process where you can yeah. store an article? There's a lot of like, I'd like to say it's not based on spreadsheets, but there's like a lot of spreadsheets. <laughs> so like, um, I'll have, um, it's, I mean, Steve can probably speak to this as well. Like admin is so much more of the job than anybody tells you. Like so much of it is just kind of, remembering who's done what when. Like, as soon as I've commissioned everybody, keeping on top of, like, 30 people is is really time-consuming. Um, and remembering what you said to them last. I mean, Apple have got that thing now where it keeps the conversation of your emails. But before that, I was like, what the hell did I just say to this person? Um, but, yeah, so I have, like, uh, spreadsheets of kind of ideas for future features, and often they come... Um, I mean, it's happening now because we've, I've done three, but I'll start to do regular features now, I think, a little bit. Like, I really enjoyed doing the... Um, the idioms thing in this one because the way we use objects in language is so pervasive and so kind of deeply embedded within like the human way of communicating metaphors and stuff that I might keep doing that as like a smaller thing so that's one of the things on the on the um, spreadsheet um, there are other ideas which like I haven't yet found the right artist to do so I'm like I don't know let me think of one off the top of my head like I wanted to do something about gravestones um, because I just really like gravestones. Uh, and I wanted to go, like, it was when I went to um, Highgate Cemetery, I was like, oh, I love the idea that kind of people make this object that when they're dead, it just stays there, like, forever and ever and ever. Like, what does that say about people? But then I didn't want it to look like a kind of, I don't know, My Chemical Romance cover, so I was like, I can't do that yet. Um, so that's one of the things that's on there. Um, <clears throat> Uh, and then kind of, you know, I'll have much bigger ideas where I'm like, oh, it ne I'd need to like build a set and like get a photographer and a model and stuff. And I, d I don't know how to do that. So I'll have to shelf that. That's in there. And I have like huge spreadsheets about, um, you know, contributors and who I've had before and who I haven't had yet and what their kind of approach is, especially for the cover, because... Um, because you don't want to have overlap and you don't want to have like, you want it to be distinct but not kind of disparate, that you have to kind of keep some element of continuity there. Um, but yeah, the process is very much about like whenever you see something interesting, make sure you save it. But like as a creative, I do that anyway. Like I'm just a hoarder. So anytime I see anything that I like, if it's like an article or an image or like a piece of like, like trash that I've just found that I like, I'll save it because it, at some point it might become the seed for an idea. And at that very, very beginning part of planning the issue, it's very much about um, digging through those folders and being like, oh, I really like that thing. What do I like about that thing? <laughs> you know, is there a way I can convert that kind of, f that little feeling that you get in your chest that makes you realize you're engaging with something and turn that into something that other people can feel backwards at an image or a piece of writing? Um, but yeah, so collect, collect shit, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> collect shit, keep spreadsheets. Yeah, um, a spreadsheet. And be silly, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and talk to people, collaborate with people if you can. Ask them, ask people for what you want because they might say no, but that's the worst that can happen, isn't it? So yeah.
All right, Dan, thank you very much for showing Thanks, us inside the making of a museum tonight. Thanks very much to all of you for coming. Um, and I hope we'll see you again at another Stack Life event. Cheers. All right, that is it. Thanks very much for listening to this first Stack podcast and especially for sticking with it all the way to the end. I really hope you've enjoyed it. I really enjoyed putting it together, even those moments tearing my hair out at Garage Band late at night. So the plan is definitely to be back with another episode towards the end of next month. I'd like to say thanks again to Park Communications for sponsoring the event and the podcast, and particularly to Alison for sharing her thoughts on print. And of course, I promise that reward for getting all the way to the end, which is to say that if you like the sound of a museum and you'd like to receive a different independent magazine every month, you can sign up at stackmagazines.com and use the code podcast to get 10% off our regular prices. That's stackmagazines.com and the code is podcast. That's it from me for now. I'm off to figure out how to get this thing into iTunes. So wish me luck with that and I hope to see you at a stack event at some point in the future.